In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Prayer of St. Francis. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Lord Jesus, we gather here in your name this morning. We invoke you as divine mercy as we meditate today on mercy in a particular way. Heavenly Father, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. Pour out your mercy upon us and increase your mercy in us that we may be defined by that mercy that created us and redeemed us and called us and is sanctifying us and transforming us. May we all become apostles of divine mercy and be witnesses to hope in this world that desperately is in need of hope and love and mercy. Mother Mary, you are the queen of mercy, the mother of mercy. Pray for us today as we pray to you. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we will focus more today on mercy Mercy from God flowing into us and mercy flowing out of us to others. So I thought it would be helpful to meditate on the sinful woman who was forgiven and who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. So that's Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was sitting at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, what is it, teacher? A certain creditor had two debtors. 
One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he forgave them both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, to whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Just got to pause and let that scene develop in your mind's eye. Holy Spirit, we ask you to sanctify our imagination so we can imagine this scene. And if it helps, you can imagine Mary Magdalene from The Chosen. This was probably Mary Magdalene. It doesn't say it, obviously, but this woman, this sinful woman was probably Mary Magdalene. Especially with the reference to the ointment, which was in some ways foreshadowing how she would care for him at his death. So she had a reputation, a woman of ill repute. But that didn't stop her. Think about that. Think about how intimidating that crowd must have been. And yet, she obviously had already had some kind of powerful encounter with Jesus. And in some ways, I think this is her way of showing her gratitude. And perhaps completing her repentance and her penance of sorts for her sins. So it was that certainty, that trust in God's mercy, in the mercy of Jesus for her, that allowed her to overcome what was obviously a very hostile crowd. So again, we have to pray for that first, right? We have to have the Holy Spirit help us with that, to have that encounter with tender Jesus. I think tenderness and mercy are so closely related. And what constitutes tenderness? Think about that for a minute. How is it that Jesus wants to 
communicate to you his tenderness. Well, through his gaze, his look. We've talked about that already a lot this week, that he sees you. He sees you with compassion. He sees you with tenderness. He sees the goodness and the truth and the beauty in each and every one of you. In an instant, he doesn't even have to really try because he made you. So it's through his gaze, his loving gaze, his tender gaze that he communicates this confidence, this trust, this connection. It's through his his tone of voice, the way that he would have spoken to her. The way that he did speak to her, even in this episode. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You can just try to imagine how he said that. With what tenderness. The way he looked at her as he said it. And, and touch. She was touching him in a very affectionate way, in a very tender way. And I'm sure he was reciprocating. If you remember from that chosen, that first episode of season one, when he, he just puts his hands on her face. And then he pulls her into his chest. What a beautiful, tender moment. And then in season two, spoiler alert, she has a relapse. But she comes back around and Mother Mary brings her into the tent to meet Jesus where he was praying. And It's so beautiful that that conversation it's really good. You got to go back and watch it. It's really good. And you need to pay attention to what Jesus responds. She says, but, but you did all of this for me, and, and, and you forgave me, and you redeemed me, and, and I just threw it all away. He's like, must not have been that good. <laughs> if you could just lose it that quickly, you know. So it's, that's a great comeback. Because that's how we think, right? We've all thought that. We've all thought that. Oh, God, you've been so good to me, and I just threw it all away. Well, it must not have been that good if, it, you, know, if you can lose it so quickly, right? So it's a process, right? What's Jesus trying to say there? It's a process. We saw yesterday with Peter, it's a process. But we forget that. You know, we put these people up on such a pedestal. And I think that's why the chosen is so helpful because you see their humanity. The humanity of these saints. The humanity of these saints. Great saints. But they all had a humanity that they had to wrestle with. They all had a past. Right? What do they say? Every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. 
So Jesus knows all that. He came for your story. <laughs> he came for your story. So that's why we really have to ask Jesus as we will we ask him right now again, you know, Jesus, help us today to get to know you as you really are. Help me to have an encounter with you, a, a living encounter, an interactive encounter that will be life-giving, that will be healing. Help me to see your gaze. Help me to experience your tenderness, your tone of voice, your touch through the power of the Holy Spirit. As I like to say, that's the Holy Spirit's job is to communicate this tenderness in an experiential way. So just say, Holy Spirit, please do your job. Please do your job. A good priest friend of mine says, if I were this woman's spiritual director, would I have recommended that she do this? And his honest answer is, no. <laughs> so it's just his way of saying God operates outside the box. God operates outside the box. And what happens? You know, the Pharisees, what were the Pharisees doing here? They put her in a box. There's a sinner. That was the box that she was in. And they had themselves in a box. We follow the rules. We are righteous because we follow the rules. That was the box they were in. And they were trying to put Jesus in a box. And he just wouldn't let them do it. And we all do this. We put ourselves in boxes and we put our spouses and kids in boxes and our friends and relatives in boxes and put priests in boxes, you know. Doesn't do anybody any good, right? Because you then necessarily limit yourself. And then you limit the other person by putting them in a box. Slapping labels on that box then too, right? Doesn't do any good. I'm orthodox. I'm charismatic. I'm liberal. I'm progressive. I'm this and I'm that. What do you, what do you even mean by that? Right? What does that mean? Most people have no clue what it means or what they mean when they say those things. Because God doesn't do that. Why do we do that? God doesn't do that. Why do we do that? Right? Because we like to control and we like to figure it all out and who's on whose side. And well, God's on everybody's side. Right? God wants to save everybody. Jesus spilled his blood for everybody. Not just Republicans, right? Not just for Orthodox. 
everybody, right? So you do yourself no good, right? I know a lot of you went to confession already, but next time you go to confession, you can confess, man, I've put myself in a box and I put father in a box and I put my husband in a box and confess that seriously, because you got to break that off, right? You got to break that off. We need God's grace, right, to help us with these things. And again, the word of God. You know, do you spend more time in the word or more time, you know, on Fox News or whatever, CNN or YouTube, whatever, right? Like, the stuff that you ingest necessarily affects the way you think and the way you feel. Right? That's why the word of God is so important. This has to be our standard, the word of God, properly interpreted and understood, right? And, and just look at what Jesus does. It's so attractive. It's so attractive. So then you can ask yourself, how many people am I attracting to Jesus, Right? Is the way I live my Christian life attractive? Jesus was obviously very attractive. You know, both physically and emotionally and spiritually, right? Like, he was a magnet, right? For both men and women, right? The apostles, the men loved him passionately. And Mary Magdalene. And the other women who followed him loved him passionately. That's the amazing thing. A, a good friend of mine, a spiritual giant, uh, a spiritual mother to me, she loves Mary Magdalene because she's kind of a Mary Magdalene herself. She, she was actually a, a pop star in Spain when she was a young woman. She was born in Cuba. She landed in Spain eventually, and she was a pop star, a very beautiful woman, beautiful voice, but then drifted very far away from Jesus. Her family was broken up, and she was in a bad marriage. She actually was then in a cult. She actually met her husband in the cult. They got out of it, thanks be to God, and, and she just had this huge conversion. And now she just loves Jesus passionately and she really identifies with Mary Magdalene who just was not going to let anything stop her from getting to that foot of the cross. You know, nothing, nothing's going to stop me. You know. And it wasn't because it was the right thing to do, right? She was definitely breaking out of the box, breaking the mold, right? And getting out of the box by going to the foot of the cross and just planting herself right there. And I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what they do to me. I'm going to be there. That's, that's what she exhibited here by going into that Pharisee's house, talking about going into a den of thieves and wolves and brood of vipers, Jesus called them later, Right? She wasn't going to let anything stop her.
because he literally just loved her like nobody else. Presumably she had had a lot of men, anybody she wanted actually. And she was not like some destitute prostitute. She was very beautiful, very wealthy, very vain. Thought she could have anybody she wanted. Probably even tried to seduce Jesus. And when she failed, and when he called her out on it, wow, you know. So, her life was changed because of divine mercy. And that's the power of divine mercy. And you don't have to be a big sinner to have that conversion, to have that change happen, to have that encounter. St. Therese, the little flower, loved passionately. She loved Joan of Arc. I got my Joan of Arc socks on today, in case you're wondering. So she loved the passion of Joan. And look at how the love of God moved Joan, a teenager, to go to war. It's an awesome story. It's an awesome story. I I listened to it last year. She was my patron saint last year. So you don't have to have this crazy past in order to have this amazing conversion and and encounter with divine mercy because we're all sinners. We're all broken. But I'm afraid sometimes we're so focused on doing things right and following all the rules that we don't allow the mercy of God to penetrate us deeply and profoundly. As Jesus said, we don't We don't appreciate it because we don't think we've been forgiven much. So we don't love much. But again, let the Holy Spirit communicate to you the passion that Jesus has for you. It's another, it's a play on words, right? His, His passion, it has the root in the Latin patio, which is to suffer. So his passionate love is a love that knows how to suffer. And he was willing to suffer all of that for you. And he would have done it just for you. So let's just pray again. You know, we're praying to, to awaken to mercy. Let me, let me read from our sacred story, Affirmations. God created human persons as sinless, perfect beings. Our rejection of God and the sin and death that resulted inspired God's mercy to help humanity regain what was lost. 
God's mercy goes beyond merely tolerating my sinful identity, an identity which results from sin's evolution in my history, my story. God's mercy through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has destroyed sin and death. In this mercy, I have the courage to reject my sinful identity, no matter how it has defined me, and by the Spirit's power, find forgiveness of my sins, becoming a new creation in Christ. And maybe that's what you need to ask for today. God, just help me to appreciate what I have become. Thanks to your divine mercy. Thanks to baptism. Thanks to your passion, death, and resurrection. Jesus does not merely tolerate the woman caught in adultery, but by showing mercy, gives her the strength to go and do not sin anymore. It is God's mercy in Jesus that gives us the courage to change long-standing patterns of sin that have marred our human nature. And it is the power of Jesus' death and resurrection that wipes away the effects of that sinful identity and transforms us, redeeming our fallen human nature. O God, you are merciful and compassionate. Send us your spirit and inspire us to turn to you at all times. Give us a personal knowledge of your merciful love in light of our need to be forgiven and transformed into a new creation. Help us to not lose hope due to our broken human nature, but to trust in your forgiveness to be transformed into a new creation. Help us so that all our thoughts, words, and deeds are shaped by your creation, presence, memory, mercy, and eternity. more specific graces to ask for. Here I ask for what I desire, the grace to forgive any person who wounded my innocence or broke my heart. I pray to not only forgive them, but to have compassion and mercy on them. I ask for the grace of mercy and forgiveness for those whose hearts I have broken, those whose innocence I have wounded, and the gifts of creation that I have misused. I beg to know personally the one who absorbed in his heart and body every wound and every sin of this dark evolution across the millennia. I beg for the dual knowledge of sin and mercy as it affects my life story. I beg for patience, knowing that accepting and offering mercy and forgiveness leads me to holiness. This awakening to highest consciousness takes a lifetime. This great awareness of God's great mercy. I believe that forgiveness is the only path to healing and illumination. I beg for the grace of forgiveness and the grace to forgive, especially for the general and particular failures of this day and from my past. The path to Christian holiness and an illumined consciousness, greater awareness, runs through the darkest memories and deeds of your life, strangely enough. These memories and deeds corrupt your innocence and blind your vision to the sacredness of all life. These memories and deeds can, by choice, act as a wall blocking the peace that leads to holiness and highest consciousness, awareness, or 
as a gate opening to them. The gate is unlocked by forgiveness and compassion. The gate or the box is opened up, you could say, by forgiveness and compassion, both received from God and then extended to all those entwined with the lost innocence that broke your heart. This includes those who hurt you, those whom you hurt, and the gifts of creation that you abused or misused as a result. This miracle of peace and enlightenment is attainable through Christ, who bore in love the wounds of every sin and dark deed since time immemorial. Christ has the power to transform darkness, sin, and death into grace for the salvation of the world. So we're more than halfway through our retreat. A lot has been said and and done and prayed about and lots of graces have been flowing. But there's more. There's more. You can see how with mercy there's always more. And how God can expand our hearts more. To love like he loves. Jesus, give me your heart. What must the heart of God be like? How how he loves us. Madly. Passionately. So God, please help me to have this encounter with you today in a new way, an encounter with divine mercy. That will help me break the mold, the mold that the enemy of my human nature has tried to keep me in. And to help break the mold for other people God, forgive me for putting myself in a box and for putting other people in a box. Because I know that's not your heart. It's not how God thinks of you. God doesn't put you in a box. What does he say? You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And as Pope Benedict always would say, the truth is not something, it's someone. John 8, 32, in case you don't know it. Jesus then said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you continue in my word, you see that? How even the son of God is emphasizing the need to stay in the word. That's John 8, 31, 32. And you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are descendants of Abraham and have never been in bondage to anyone. How is it that you say you will be made free? You know, these are the Pharisees, right? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not continue in the house forever. The son continues forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are descendants of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. Lord, may your words find a place in my heart and in my mind 
Renew my mind, heal my heart. God, I beg you, may your words find a place in my mind and in my heart. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. <laughs> and, and he's saying your father, it's a small f, <laughs> the devil. You are your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a law. For he is a liar and the father of lies. The father of lies. That's why you know, I put together this sheet for you. It's the last sheet in your folders. Lies to renounce. We're going to do that tonight in a corporate way. But I encourage you from perhaps some of those unpleasant memories that you've been putting down and the lies that you've been extracting Write down those lies, and we're going to bring them to the light tonight. We're going to bring them to Jesus, to divine mercy. And we're going to renounce them. And then we're going to ask him for his truth to replace those lies. So we can be healed, so that we can be free. Christ wants you to be free. He wants all his sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, to be free. Free from those boxes and those chains and those labels. So dear Lord Jesus, set us free so that we can become all that you created us to be. So that we can be transformed into this love that you are and that you invite us, that you call us to live in and participate in. It's the dynamic of God's dynamic love. That's what I like to call it. Because God came out first. He created us first and then he came out to us to, to save us and to redeem us. What did that mean? It, mean? it meant that Jesus brought us back to the Father, to the bosom of the Father. He reconciled us with the Father in the spirit. And then what do they do? They send us out to the lost sheep, right? To bring those people back into the heart of the Father. Our next meditation will go and reflect on the, the prodigal son. We'll reflect on, on this theme of mercy more uh, this afternoon.